Hello, grace and peace. We're taking Anarchy to Church here on the Anarchist Bible Study. I'm Josh, a.k.a. Ioan Cap. And I'm Jeff Park, a.k.a. Prince of No More Door, where the shadows tell the truth. <laughs> yes. Uh... <laughs> I have no response. Uh, you caught me. For more pre-show banter, tune in to Anarchist Bible Study Episode 30, Alberta Party People, as well as Episode 80.5, What Went Wrong Here? But now, back to the show. Alright, so, welcome everybody to Episode 80, the 80th episode, that's right, we just went 80s. Um, we're going to start growing out our hair. We're going to, um, you know, rebel, but in like, by, by putting on eyeliner, um, we're going to start wearing really tight leather pants. Uh, we're going to say we're making rock music, but it's mostly synthesizers. Um, you know, all that stuff. That, that's kind of what we're, what we're going to start doing now, uh, because we're into the eighties now. Um, you know, some of you guys are getting really excited because Ronald Reagan's about to come on the scene. Um, I, I I was going to make like a yeah, we're we're gonna try to knock out knock bombs out of the air with lasers. Um, <laughs> that's right. Uh, we're going a long, long time ago to galaxy far, far away. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but but anyway. <laughs> We are, we, but what we are actually doing is we are um, in the middle of a series on this, um, on the London Lyceum's June 19th episode on a Protestant political theology roundtable. Um, this was, again, a requested episode by a listener and supporter of the show. They gave us $5 at buymeacoffee.com slash flyover, which you can do as well if you want to get us off this topic and onto a new topic. Uh, you can <laughs> give us $5 and we will do so. Um, but but basically, um, you can see how far your money is going based on how long we've taken to go through this episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's a but but it's not just that. It's also it's just it's a very interesting topic to us. Um, we're looking at how do you develop a Protestant political theology. And that's something that we're very interested in being Protestants who are interested in political theology. Um, and we've heard all of the constructive arguments, the first arguments made, um, Andrew Walker, yeah, despite the, this is not a debate, they're using the debate terms for right. <laughs> parts uh, of it's not yeah. a debate. Andrew Walker started time and Klein went second. Jonathan Lehman went third. Brad Littlejohn went fourth and really along the way, I think we've been discovering some things of like the truth is sometimes a principle's only as good as the legs you put under it. And we've been seeing like some people have given answers that were like, honestly, we're okay with the answer stated as such. But it's like it wasn't specific enough or, or really helpful enough to deal with the most recent crisis. And that's something I think that is, is important, that we need, to, we need to deal with the crisis before us. And um, 
And so we're, but but we're getting out of the first statements, the, the constructive statements, and now we're going to get into the back and forth, the actual going after each other a little bit. Um, um, I have no doubt that it's going to be very cordial, um, but but that's the section that we are into right now. Um, and I wrote down where we pick up, but I forgot where I put it. Right. Okay. Um, we are going to be starting at 45 minutes um, and 14 seconds or thereabouts. I'm probably not going to have it directly on that. Um, so 4513 is what I landed on. Uh, so we're going to be starting at 4513. Um, and, and I give you that, the, and we're going to go to whatever timestamp we put in the description below. Uh, and I say that because, again, we're going to remind you that um, the authorial intent of this show is to listen at two times speed because I sound so much more intelligent at two times speed. Uh, it's just, or if you're on audio and you can listen at three times speed, even that it's even better. Um, but that means, uh, we, uh, we who are listening to this debate at two times speed, uh, that means it's four times or potentially six times speed for you. So I would recommend, uh, going to the, the linked podcast below listening to what we're going to listen to ahead of time. And, um, and, and fair warning, we will not be changing speeds before Jonathan Lehman starts talking. Uh, we're just, just going to plow right through. That's right. We're just going we're, we're gonna to let Jonathan Lehman, who, you know, starts at three times speed. And, uh, and we're just going to go for it. And, yeah, Patrick's, Patrick, the poor soul who's listening to us at one time speed, says, at one time speed, trust him on this. That's right. We sound <laughs> so much better. Uh, two times speed. Patrick has to deal with us sounding like a bunch of normies. Um, I've often joked that when I meet Tom Woods and Bob Murphy in person, I'm going to be so disappointed because <laughs> to me, they speak at two and three times speed. So when I meet them and I'll be like, why are you talking so slow? <laughs> this was going to be okay. Anyway. Um, yeah. So you didn't want to say anything before we launch into this? I, I, I think we have uh, preambled after our preambling enough. It's like, it's like, a, it's right. We have a, it's like a Russian nesting doll of preamblings, preamblings on preamblings on preamblings. Uh, so <laughs> let's listen. Uh, let's see what they have to say in this uh, back and forth round. And we're going to start and stop because we don't know any other way to do this. So uh, we'll see how much we can get there. <laughs> It was super helpful introduction, and I don't know if it says anything that both our Baptist brothers were shorter, I think, in time uh, than our other friends here. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you guys, the watchers, listeners, if that means anything or not. So now we're going to move into... <laughs> if you, I don't know if you caught that, but he said, uh, we just want to point out that the Bapt our Baptist brothers were uh, actually on under time as opposed to the non-Baptist brothers. So I was like, oh, uh, well done, sir. Well done, sir. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, I cannot hear um, the you can't uh, hear podcast on my... I do this thing yet. One second. Okay. I'm going to edit this out because, you know, your screen, your screen. Oh, there we go. Advanced computer audio. Boop. Now you I went to share in computer sound. That's right. Boop. Um, okay. Now, now that Jeff can actually hear it 
And I told them what the first joke was, so we can we can go from there. Yeah. All right, let's go, let's do this I, thing. I I assent to the funniness of that joke. <laughs> All right, let's do this thing. In time uh, than our other friends here. I don't know. I'll leave that up to you guys, to the watchers, listeners, if that means anything or not. So now we're gonna move into a sort of initial negative statement. The design behind this is to give everybody uh, a substantial amount of time dedicated to them to reply to some of the things that everybody else has said. So for instance, Andrew, you're gonna go first. You could you could choose to reply to just one person or choose to reply to the things that everybody said. It's totally up to you. So this is just your dedicated time, each of you. So Andrew, I'll begin with you and then we'll go in that same order that we went in. Time and Jonathan Brad, and then after that we'll have some time to just go back and forth before we open it up to the QA for everybody who's watching. So Andrew, it's up yeah, to great. Thanks, Jordan. Um, I, I'm not sure if I'll take the full eight minutes or not, but um, I have the floor at least. Um, no, so thanks, guys. I, this is this is always intellectually enriching, even where we have our disagreements. Um, a few things that were said that I'd like to comment on. Um, first, there were some areas of of particular agreement I had with Brad um, when he was talking about the different ways in which Christ rules. Um, I can definitely I, I buy that paradigm to the extent that we understand Christ is ruling over His church. Uh, in a different way that he is ruling over uh, the nations. Uh, I would go to First Corinthians here to say that not yet all has been brought to his, uh, er, his kingdom is not here in full. Uh, and so that means his kingdom has to be ruling and manifesting, and his rule has to be manifesting in different ways. Um, so I think at the abstract level, I would agree with Brad's presentation of, of kind of that two government's perspective. I think obviously as we would drill down on the practical applications, we would have our disagreements, which I'll get to there in a little bit. Um, one way I would say a possible area of agreement is one of the ways that I read First Timothy chapter two, where we're called to pray for those who are in authority over us that we might live quiet and godly lives. Because if you go to the next sequence of the verse, is that God desires all men to be saved. Um, I actually think there is somewhat of, an, of a symbiotic relationship between church and state in that verse that we can deduce, where you can understand Paul saying, "Pray that the authorities are executing judgment in the realms and jurisdictions where they are competent to, to have uh, judgment um, and in order." And insofar as the state is keeping itself to a limited jurisdiction where it has actual competence over. Uh, this, the church then finds itself in a position um, to do the work of the church. Um, so one of the phrases I like to use here is, you can kind of deduce from Paul in 1 Timothy 2, Paul's arguing for uh, a small state and a large church. And so I actually would say, you know, and this is, this is uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me as a Baptist, is I think the, the state can actually unwittingly and unintentionally be playing a role in the drama of redemption uh, when the state is acting according to those authorized competencies. And I like the language of what, what Jonathan was getting about with authorization. So there's some potential areas for agreement. Um, some areas of disagreement that I would probably raise that I'm sure will be points of discussion later on um, is, and of course, brothers, Tim and Brett, you guys are great. We're on the same team. We're just, we're, we're having argument for argument's sake here. At, at times, I felt like their arguments were more extrapolations um, from historical events more than they are biblically rooted. Now, um, obviously, I'm not saying Luther and Calvin weren't biblical and they weren't theological. Please don't hear me say that type of thing. Um, I, I just feel as though, you know, I think at one point, Timon says in his first point, man is spiritual and social, so therefore government should direct man to his ultimate end. Um, I don't see a clear principle from scripture that would draw me to that same conclusion. Um, I, I think there's some, I can understand theologically how time would get there. Um, I, I would disagree with that kind of theolo theological exegesis, um, but it, it seems to be more of an extrapolation. Uh, one of the things that I'm thinking about in these situations is what's, what's actually on the ground feasible. Um, and so one of the advantages I think that Jonathan and I have in this discussion is I think that we have a political theology that can adjust to the contours of the day and age in which we are currently living. And it seems to me, uh, Brad and Timon's position is a little bit more idealist. And if we can't actualize uh, what they are proposing, then it, I, I, as kind of the, the critic, am on the side saying, okay, then, then what then? If, if you don't have it in place right now, what you got? Um, and so I think that's, that's, that's where there are some eschatological covenantal issues at play here, where I think that Jonathan and I's views, because they're covenantally organized, tend to conform themselves to the age in which we now find ourselves in. Uh, oh, another issue is, I mean, where I would say I have my strongest disagreement is, I think Timon says at the end, um, this would require some degree of coercion. Um, Brad said something to the effect of uh, the magistrate cannot be indifferent to God's law um, and has to recognize the one true God. Uh, a couple things to that, I would say. One is we don't have godly rulers right now. So what of that? I mean, what, what do we do with reality? We don't have godly rulers. Um, if we don't have godly rulers, is the government therefore illegitimate? 
Um, and I think Jonathan and, I, and I's views have an understanding of the natural law and the role of the state that can accommodate the normative reality that we're going to have pagan fallen rulers, and that's to be expected. Uh, but because I have a, a personally strong doctrine of the natural law, uh, I think the natural law doesn't leave them off the hook as far as their accountability to God's law. Uh, it's, it's what does the magistrate see themselves doing in the office that they're in. Another thing I would say is the establishment position seems to work uh, insofar as they're the majority. Um, I want to have a political theology that can be adaptable even if we are in the minority. Uh, and obviously the Baptist position rose out of the minority position. And so that gives us the benefit of saying, okay, well, I think we have a biblical um, public theology, but I also think we have uh, one that can adjust to the realities and contingencies of where Christians find themselves scattered throughout the globe. That we don't have to be in the majority to achieve our vision for church and state. Uh, I mean, the last thing I'll say is this. Um, I don't hear any recognition of the reality of pluralism in the establishment vision. Uh, and please hear me, pluralism is a loaded term. When I say pluralism, I'm, I'm describing the reality that in this age, it's a, it's a normative but lamentable reality that there are people who think differently than Christians. Um, and I can't change that. I don't think a magistrate's confession of the one true God is going to do very much to effectuate change at the level of regeneration, because I think that's where our understanding of ecclesiology and soteriology and, and, and contradistinction from baptism comes into play here. Which I, I love this discussion because it actually shows how, how fully orbed and logical our views on church and state are because they trace back to ecclesiology and, and, and soteriology. Um, all that to say, my last thing, I think we have to have political theology that can respond to the reality that people don't think like us. So what do we do in having a commonwealth with people unlike us? And I think that gives the Baptist vision a realizable uh, or functional political theology more than the establishment. Gosh, I didn't think I'd take all the time. That was longer than my introduction. So how about that? <laughs> Thanks, Dr. Walker. All right, uh, Tom and Okay. So now that I know that it's a full, it's an eight minute per person. Now we, we know we, we've got some, some divisions. I like this. Um, and obviously we're going to be able to get through it quicker than um, in the opening uh, because they're really just, in some ways he's just picking up on things that we've already picked up on. Um, yeah. And I like how he pointed out how the Baptists really have a better chance at adapting to the current climate and I love that he picked up on the historical realities that led to this, that Baptists formed their theology as a minority. Um, they didn't take right. over a, a, a nation and then start doing theology in that nation. They had to work within someone else's nation. Um, right. And this is kind of what we talked about, right? And, and <laughs> I, I've, I've noticed... <laughs> Presbyterians on Twitter saying, guys, you realize if we did establish for religion right now, the Baptists would be running it. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, say it's just Protestantism and whatever, whatever. Uh, like, the Baptists would be in charge. So, and, and I've seen them saying, so, wait a second, how does that work? <laughs> it's like, um, um, and and uh, but but yeah, there's there it is. It doesn't work unless you're in the majority, or or unless you hold reasonably unchallengeable political authority. Yeah, whether that's by holding majority or not. In a democracy, that would require holding the majority. But this is this is the issue that like the right wing is completely incapable of learning. This is the lesson they are completely incapable of learning. They keep being like, I don't care about principles. I care about my children and whatever, whatever, whatever. And so I'm willing to take the reins of power and be more coercive. And then being like, you guys just are incapable of learning the lesson of George W. Bush, aren't you? Right. That the power you have consolidated 
will be given to your enemies at some point. You need to rule as if you will you will not have perfect rulers forever. Like you need to rule as if sin is a real thing. Right? right. Yes. So because because of George W. Bush, you take an unguided tour of the Capitol on January 6th and you get the Patriot Act used against you. Yes. Absolutely. It's because, like, yeah. All the same justifications for right-wingers taking power and ignoring the Constitution to do so, which they, they, they're making those arguments. Every argument made in that direction was made by George W. Bush against the terrorists. Like, it's just now, instead of against the terrorists, we're talking about against the left. And in every case, it backfired spectacularly. Like, that is what happened. It spectacularly uh, backfired. And so, like, and so, yeah. I love that he's saying, like, really, there's the, the practicability problem. Is that both of you guys have this idealistic vision of what the, what the, 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 what it can be. And yet, like, right. it's, it's just unless you actually accomplish the perfect government, how's it going to get there? Right. And, 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 but the Baptist vision is a well, workable vision within a, a pluralistic context. And let us note that historically, established religions have always tended towards the good guys being in the minority. The good guys not holding the reins of power, eventually. Yeah. Um. Maybe that's inevitable eventually, and but that's not an argument against our position <laughs> that it's inevitable eventually. Yeah. <laughs> means means that that at some point this stops working, and 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 the so that so that the what 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 was established to do good is turned toward the evil in a much more profound way than it ever could have rewarded the good yeah 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 absolutely uh, and, and also uh, what, what was the uh, and he made that comment about like a small government in a big church is, is like the vision. And I was like, that was a, yeah, absolutely. And how, um, a government when constrained is potentially inadvertently made to be a servant of the plan of redemption. Right. Although we, we've seen, we've seen that that's also true when the government is not restrained. <laughs> See also mm -hmm. Cyrus. See also Caesar Augustus. <laughs> See also Pilate. See also Pilate. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um. Yeah. I, I, okay. I, I find this. Uh, I find his critiques of the other positions very much in keeping with what we were critiquing, and also like it seems like he didn't have a lot of critiques for uh, Lehman, um, though maybe that's an area which which is kind of why you know. Remember, these are the two areas that we had very little critiques for, too. Yeah. We also had a hard time critiquing Lehman, even though we felt that we should. should. 
Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, um, do do you want to keep going? Should we keep going? We can get yeah, another eight minutes. Going. Let's let's keep. Pl- this is this is so fat much faster than any of the other sections we've gone through. All right, let's do it. This is time inclined. Um, just I, I think we missed that part. That that's that's the person giving the the response now. Shoot. Um uh, there's no I I I forgot to unmute the mute the 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 stream. Sorry. I'm going to have to back it all the way up. That means sorry about that. Um I think we'll go right back to the top. Sorry. I'll do that. Establishment. I didn't think I take all the time. That was longer than my introduction. So how about that? <laughs> Thanks Dr. Walker. All right. Uh Tom and Drew. Hey, thank you. Um so just because he just he went most recently, I'll respond to, to Andrew some and uh some of the things I'll plug, I think, actually might fit better in our, our free-flowing discussion. Maybe we can pick them back up again, or, or maybe not. Um, I do want to further adjudicate uh, Andrew's claim earlier on. It was kind of made in passing, but I think it's a common claim, which is that you know establishment simply doesn't work, or it. Um, the assumption is that it, it deadens orthodoxy. I can't remember how you phrased it, Andrew, but something like that. It, it's, it's a um, uh, you know it's detrimental to true uh, spirituality. We might say something like that. Um, I think that that needs to be further adjudicated in two ways. I don't know how it's falsifiable. I, the, the claim is used often, um, and it's it's usually used as a sort of uh, historical observation, is where the data is coming from, and. Um, I see it in many ways completely the opposite way um, because I don't see um, the context, the very, very, in the grand scheme of things, short experiment we've had with disestablishment uh, producing anything better, in fact, far worse. Um, and that kind of dovetails with uh, something Andrew's bringing up on rebuttal, which is uh, the recognition of a, uh, what we might, we might say, religious diversity. Might say, like Andrew's kind of grappling with pluralism is a, has the sort of imports a normative, favorable view of that. But it's, it's you know, the, the diversity on the ground, the fact of religious diversity. Um, I think another fallacy, and I'm not saying Andrew uh, subscribes to this, but is that there was no diversity in, uh, you know, certainly the early modern period or even the medieval period, it's, that it was homogenous. And it's simply not the case. So I think the, um, it doesn't necessarily poke a hole in the theories of, of church and state that predominated then. Um, and I'm not sure from today kind of pastoral view of things. I don't know how we would know this uh, very well, but I, but I don't think it can be ruled out. Is that, what was it like for people on the ground in these in these periods? Were they miserable, or was it going decently well from their perspective? And then, um, and certainly, you know, maybe not materially, and that's just a, a contingency of history and technology, um, but spiritually and familially and uh, relationally and all these things where you see great suffering in our context now. Um, so I do think, again, I'm not, I'm not putting this on Andrew, but I think we all uh, commit the chronological snobbery of assuming that we've come up with a more pristine theory, and therefore people must be happier because there's more celebration of the fact uh, that there's disagreement and difference. And that would be one of my last points is that I don't think a, a political theory, even trying to be practical, can be predicated on division or be predicated on disagreement. In fact, I think political theory is supposed to be a cohesive one. Uh, find every way it's, it can to produce the, the opposite, to produce agreement, to produce a level of homogeneity, however you define it by whatever metric. Um, so that's one of the things I would push back on on a, uh, a liberal theory in the you know, small way. Um, which I would also just just to throw something at Jonathan since I haven't yet. Um, you know, I'm, the, the appeal to classical liberalism is, is interesting. I'm certainly not a, a proponent of classical liberalism, but even the, you know the words of the Declaration, life, liberty, and happiness. Um, I think even for Jefferson, have to be considered classically. Uh, life being a precondition for everything else, liberty certainly being within within law and order, and then happiness being uh, the classical sense of the word. And if you drive that to where it should go, uh, true happiness can only be found in God. And therefore, if the government is supposed to preserve and indeed pursue the happiness of the populace, it ultimately lands at the same question that both me and Brad in different ways have brought up. And Locke himself recognized this. This is why Locke, for all his uh, the attribution of liberalism to him, still doesn't tolerate atheism. Right. So th- this is I, I think at some point you always end up grappling with that aspect. And this is because. Again, and political theory is supposed to foster uh, not only temporal well-being, but the well-being of temporal creatures that also have a spiritual uh, existence and an eternal destiny, um, and do, do justice not just to man, but to the source of the power that is to do justice over man, which is God himself. And so justice to God is also the first order of, of government, and has to figure out what that looks like. We can move on to Dr. Lehman. Huh. Okay. 
so since he started by going after one of the last arguments I made, <laughs> if not the last argument I made, let, let's go there first. Um, he says, he says that, that, uh, Establishment tending towards dead orthodoxy or or unorthodoxy. I'm not sure what he said. Um, I think well, he, he said dead. He, orth- he was saying he couldn't remember what Andrew had said. Too, oh, okay. So. okay. <laughs> um, that. Uh, that that he he's not sure that bears out historically and that our brief experiment with disestablishment has been far worse. I. I don't know what he means. I hope that gets fleshed out uh, in the later rounds here, because I don't know what that means. Um, certainly, we have some notes about the state of Christian theology today. We're doing a whole series of bonus episodes about it, but but I don't so. Is 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 the the state of Christian theology today worse than the establishment, the Anglican establishment that our Puritan forebears were setting themselves up against? Um, was the state is the state of Christian theology today worse than? during the pornocracy with the Borgia Popes. Like, I, I, what, what are we comparing to? It seems like, it seems like, because our, our, our brief experiment, as he calls it, with a disestablishment, what, I mean, wouldn't you have to say it went very well for quite some time? <laughs> um, it's it, it even by I don't know I don't know what he I don't know what he's calling out as I don't I, I'm not I'm actually not sure what he's saying is is bad about disestablishment. Yeah, I mean, like okay, so we're gonna talk about flourishing of the nation, like. America, the United States of America became the greatest nation in the world by almost every metric at some point. You can argue whether or not well, it is that and- way anymore, but because, but like, was that an establishmentarian government or disestablishmentarian government? It was largely a Protestant disestablishmentarian government. Well, like, and the spread of the gospel. So the spread of the gospel. The. <laughs> the two biggest cults in the United States are the two cults that the United States government tried to kill. So it if if we're trying to say if if we're trying to say that lay Mormonism and and modern Arianism at the feet of disestablishment, I guess. I guess the U.S. government didn't directly try to kill modern Arianism, 
Although you you have to say that you can't prove they wouldn't have tried to kill it if they'd gotten away with what they did get away with they with like in terms of uh uh like they tried to they tried to get them to serve in the military they tried to get them to pledge allegiance to the flag they tried to get them to um i think there i think there were cases about schooling cases about blood transfusion cases about just pick a distinctive other than the trinity <laughs> which they yeah. they they didn't try because it's just so obviously uh protected by the constitution yeah. um well, uh, but I do wanna... but they they tried every every angle they could and then obviously mormonism the united states straight up just Arrested and killed people for yeah. being Mormon. The, there's one thing, like, okay, so he appeals to chronological snobbery that, like, how do we know what, what things on the ground in the medieval era would have been like? Well, I would say, like, let's, I mean, we can run thought, we can, I mean, like, this is, like, God gives us reason for a reason. It gives us logic for a reason that we can logic out these things, these outcomes. Like we don't have to just bear, bear, do the bare statement of principles. We can ask, okay, so what happens if our enemies get control of these right. things that we're building up? And like, we can ask these things, but also we can point to historical examples. Like it's so funny how he's like, uh, that the establishmentarians like um, eventually becomes dead orthodoxy. It's like, it's not been proven. And like, Bro, I just want to be like, bro, your denomination has proved it over and over and over again. Yeah. What split of Presbyterianism are we on now? You know, like, like, and this is a Presbyterianism without authority. Like, this is the problem of centralizing. Like, here's the deal that they, that these, these Protestants online, these Protestant political theology online don't want to talk about is like, yeah, sure. There's a lot of problems with the Baptist church, but you know what? A lot of essential doctrines have lasted a lot longer in the Baptist church than they have among Presbyterians. Presbyterians end up leaving it a lot quicker. And then what do the Orthodox have to do? They, they lose the denominations so handily that they keep having to start new denominations. But, oh, but a local Baptist church, how many times have local Baptist churches which again, that's where the Baptist church is, is on the local level. How many times have a local Baptist church been saved and brought back and reformed? It happens all the time. You know? Yeah. Well, and do we get the modern missions movement in an established church context? I mean, I know in England there was Technically, an established church, but that's not where the modern missions movement came from. Right. <laughs> um, it came from the the dissenting churches. Yep. Um, and and so yeah, it's it it it's. The and and it's hard to imagine. If, so, if we're talking about 
because remember the claim is that the flourishing of the gospel will happen under establishment. That's just, that seems empirically untrue to me. You know, but, but you know what? There is a way to test out this case. There's a way that we can test this out. See, because the truth is, he's going back to the medieval era, but I'm like, you can, for, like the big thing that I keep thinking when he says that is I'm like, you can't unring bell, the bell of the Reformation. That's done. Sure. You can't, like, I mean, the biggest problem you've got running into there is, like, there was a common definition of what Christianity was. You can't unring the bell of the Reformation. We're done. We're, done, we're past that. But I can think of a way that we can test this. We could have a a boldly pluralistic society down the road from a somewhat less pluralistic society, maybe uh, maybe more of a, a generic, a mere, Christian, mere Christianity, mere Christendom sort of uh, society, right down the street from an Anglican uh, society, right down the street from a Baptist or Presbyterian society, uh, establishmentarian society, and we can have all of these societies living alongside each other and uh, we can see which ones are most successful. Um, and uh, if you know where I'm going, I'm talking about Hoppy and co- com- uh, Covenantal Communities. Like, right. once again, libertarians have the solution for you. We've come up with an idea for you. You want to yeah. try establishmentarian communities, you can have yeah. one. Yeah, in principle, in principle, I my my objections... I wouldn't want to live in one, but my objection to the permissibility of an establishment of an established religion fall away in in a Hoppian covenant community context. Yeah, which you know what? Like would be a fine way to start it. Let's start with existing towns and uh, you know, not cities. Cities are going to want to be broken up. But we've got like if you want to establish a Presbyterian town somewhere in Iowa, I will with bated breath want to see it because another thing that I want to, that I want to say too, is like, there's also just a problem of scale that keeps coming up again and again, that these type of communities, you scale them up. And this is really what I was getting at with the Presbyterianism problem is that you, the bigger the denomination gets, the more the enemies of the gospel want to find positions in that organization for their own sake. The, when you, and, and it's and harder it is <coughs> to gatekeep the boundaries. If, oh, I know established churches work at a small enough scale because we have one here in this house. Like, right. <laughs> there's, yeah. one, there, there's, there's only one church in this house. All, all members of this family must support it. Our, 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 our time and, and, and money and resources go to it. And, and yeah. and it and it's and it's the and it's the only one and deviations from it will be punished. Right. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Um, so yes, at a small enough scale, we know it works. Yeah. Because it works in families. Maybe maybe you can do an establishmentarian uh community, covenant community. Like once again, like the Hoppians have the answer. Yeah, and, and also I want to get to this thing because they, like I, there's also something like I remember I had made some comment talking about uh, the establishment the the ordination of 
of pastors and Baptist churches and an Eastern Orthodox guy who I respect had jumped on that and being like, wow, so that's just pure democracy or that's, that's just democracy. And I was like, but don't we all agree that democracy works on a small scale? We do actually agree that democracy works on a small scale. On a small scale, like you hanging out with your friends, trying to decide where we're going to go out to eat. Oh. And everybody says, you know what? I want to go to pizza. Oh, no, I want to go to Mexican. Well, you know what? Five of us want to go to pizza. Three of us want to go to Mexican. Do we want to split or do we want to go to stay together and go to pizza? Oh, it's fine. I'll have pizza if it means keeping the group together. Yeah. Like we can make democracy. You can make democracy work on a small scale where everyone, with, in, where everyone involved is also educated to the principles of that society, which is why I'm not against congregational democracy is because if we are, if for one thing, Baptists are a, on the basis of a, um, of a profession of faith and uh, regenerate membership, at least majority regenerate membership. If they, if the majority of the members voting are regenerate, then we can be confident that they're going to follow the will of God. And we're educating them about what the will of God is to that end. You know, so like it's, it, it's a small scale, so democracy works, and also it's a very educated populace to the principles of the, at least it should be, to the principles of the community. And so it's a completely different um, situation. And in, in that case, you have both voluntary exit and excommunication. Yes. Yeah. Both are important. Yep. To make something like this work. That's right. Otherwise, uh, otherwise, democracy does break down. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, and then of course, you know, he brings up, brings up the pop, the thing that like, oh yes, and if nine one vote majority vote, then Josh is pay for everyone. Except that's once again, then I can just take my ball and go home. Yeah. I don't have to pay for everyone exactly. because I can just take my ball and go home. No one's actually forcing exactly. me to do anything on a small scale democracy. If the vote is nine people vote, Josh pays then Josh decides not to go out to eat with you guys. And like, okay, right. well, I guess you have to pay anyway. And that's again, this is, this is a, uh, I, I think establishment, like you want to try establishmentarianism. We have the way for you to do so on a small scale. If we just break it down to the small, to smaller, constituent parts to covenant communities, you form your Presbyterian establishmentarian uh, covenant community. And let's see who wants to live there as compared, as compared to my, my Baptist non-establishmentarian uh, community. Like, and, and we'll see which one succeeds, which one flourishes as, as, uh, as a society, which one flourishes economically, politically, libertarianly, like all these different and, ways, all the different metrics. And, and, yeah. and where the gospel flourishes, which is, where the gospel flourishes. which is after all the most important thing. Yeah. I just don't buy that, that, that the state can ensure the flourishing of the gospel. I, I don't buy it. I don't buy, I don't buy that the scriptures ever teach us, um, except in the except in the case of national ethnic Israel, which was a unique 
circumstance. Yeah. Intentionally um, unique. It was where, intended to be unique. Where where they were they were supposed to be they were supposed to preserve themselves as a righteous remnant. They were supposed to be figuring and 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 in their precise failure to be able to do that, including with means of violence. Yeah. Um, it's precisely their failure to do that which will um, which will show that the righteous remnant of one is required to fulfill what the righteous remnant nation could not. Um, and and so but but leaving that aside, I just don't see where the where the Bible teaches that that the gospel is to be spread by violence. Mm-hmm. Specifically, the, go- I mean, the gospel is to be spread by proclamation. Mm-hmm. And, and, and when, when violent means are used, they don't return evil for evil. They don't use violence. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I think um, I just don't. I, I just so I don't see it scripturally. I don't. I don't see it philosophically, practically, historically. It, it just it it fails to me. This idea that um, establishment actually promotes the flourishing of the gospel. Yeah, yeah, bro. Let's keep going. We're crushing let's. it. We're kicking so. We're taking so much uh, time. Uh, it's just, I think was, was that was that the only thing covered. we wanted to address from what Timon said? Um, uh, honestly, there's just there's also just I think we covered kind of the high points. There's also just a yeah. sense that which I, I felt like he was spiraling there a little bit. Honestly, I, I felt like there was a, a good amount of time where it was like he's using words that I'm like I'm not even sure you're using that word right. Um, it's it felt like he was spiraling a little bit there. Um, I feel like he was better prepared for his first statement than he was for his second statement. Like there's a couple points where I'm just like, you're not really saying anything here, buddy. Um, <laughs> like he, he uh, you know. So I, I, yeah, I think that pretty much covered what we wanted to get into. Um, let's hear what um, how Lehman thinks everybody else stinks. Oh, gotta make sure it's unmuted again. Yep, there we go. Justice over man, which is God Himself, and so justice to God is also the first order of of government. And has to figure out what that looks like. Backed up. We can move on to Dr. Lehman. I, I took notes from the brothers, and uh, I have Andrew Andrews talking with my notes, and highlighted some in green. We're like, I agree. Some in yellow, like, meh, slow down. And some in red. So let me just respond. Uh, I appreciate what uh, I appreciate what Timon said about man as a spiritual and social being, buying and soul. So that's true. Um, and social is a product of, of, of man. It must reflect the nature of man. I'm on all agreement. But where I'm going to offer caution is just because our anthropology says this does not mean this institution or that institution is licensed to fulfill everything that would fulfill man. So don't confuse anthropology with what's been authorized or not authorized. It's going to come up again in a second. But still, that's green. Anthropology green. Yellow. Government's not a confess- concession of the fall. In fact, it's, it's a good. You know, you have to, you have to decide in a perfect society, do we ride on the right or the left side of the road? I agree with that. That said, the use of the sword, the presentation of government, which I believe was established in the way of government, that is a limited thing. That is a product of the fall. The way the government works now, or says the blood of man, is, is from the fall. And that will pass. Praise the Lord, right? Um, so kind of yes and no. Uh, government rules over body and soul. Yes. You know, it's not just did he kill somebody. You know, it's premeditated. Right, but at the same time, going back to my earlier point, you know, you perceive from there to say he has an interest in soul and his eternal well-being. Yes, well, my babysitter, or my children has an interest in summer garden. You know, the babysitting my children, soul and body, they have an interest in their eternal well-being. If they're good babysitters, that doesn't mean they're given jurisdiction, unlimited way to bring my children in all matters of worship and so forth, or coercive use of the sword in that case. And there's still a limitation to the jurisdiction that's been given. Right. 
Okay, that was enough that I wanted to stop and, and comment on it. Yeah. Nailed it. Absolutely nailed it there. That was such a great point where he was like, where, where, where he came back and he said, don't confuse, anthro- what is he? Don't confuse anthropology for, uh, for, 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 what did he call it? For, uh, permission? Not permission. What did he say? What was the word? Or is it authority or, uh, I don't know. I don't remember. Yeah. It's the word he keeps coming back to. And so I'm sure. I'll yeah. Yeah. Back to a second. But like, and then he said, okay, yes, there will be government before the fall. And this is really what I was trying to figure out how to say when, when yeah. we were listening to time in the first time. And he nailed it where he's like, yes, there'll be government before the fall, but this type of government, a sword wielding government, that is a product of the fall. That is a necessity as a result of the fall. Yes. Because if there's no murder in in Eden, there is no need for sword wielding authority. All government would be voluntary government because we would all already voluntarily agree to the natural law, the Ten Commandments of God. And so there would be no need for sword wielding government. There would be voluntary government, spontaneous order. That's really what we're talking about. And he points out correctly, it's even more uh, post-flood than post-fall. So, yes. so, um, so God, God sees that the earth is full of violence, and and there needs to be some form of sword bearing to yes. to bring the violence under control. And we agree, civil yes. government sword bearing is necessary to bring the violence under control to keep to keep Hatfields and McCoys from from just being every every family versus every family you know we um and again we think family would be the natural place things would go if uh (laughs) um in the in the absence of um totalitarian states but um but uh um yeah so the but but it it's it's almost a yeah so the fall yes obviously but the but it, it but it's it's almost also just the the demonstration that um that the demonstration of the inherent violence uh, when um, when there when there is no civil authority so and again we'll we'll point out again In 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 saying that in saying that there shouldn't be a, a modern nation state, in, in large measure we are saying that it should get back to being the doing the sorts of things that sword bearing lends itself to and not all the other things. Stop stop trying to pave roads with a sword. Stop trying to teach children with a sword. Yeah. And yes, stop trying to spread the gospel with a sword. 
None of those work. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, sorry, we're we're having a completely different conversation in the chat, which you can read by going to buybeacom.com slash flyover. Or you can wait until we start tweeting about it because man, things are going on in Russia right now as we're at, as we're in in Ukraine as we're recording good, this. Good thing we didn't preamble about Russia and Ukraine yeah. like we thought about this week because it would have been out of date by the time out of date, yeah. By the time we, by the time we could have published it. Anyway, but that um but, but I just wanted to stop on that because I thought that was such a great point that I wanted. And like, he talked about it, like, um, just because, and he's like the body soul thing. He's like, yeah, that's good. That's a good point. But just because there's, there's care for body soul does not give them the right to wield the sword necessarily. Like he brought up the, the right. example of his babysitter, like his babysitter, uh, just because his babysitter is in care of his kids, body and soul does not mean that they have all the rights that a, a government has or a civil magistrate has over them. And yeah, like I think that's that's um, it's a great point. I, that's I, great. Yeah. I mean, he he really he really made two points there that I think we would have made if we were that smart. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, back it up a little bit and let him let him keep going. Interest in the summer garden. You know, the babysitting my children, soul and body, they have an interest in their eternal well-being if they're good babysitters. But that doesn't mean they're given jurisdiction, unlimited way to bring my children in all matters of worship and so forth. Of course, the use of the sword in that case. Okay, and specifically, he's saying that doesn't mean that my. Uh, Babysitter has the right to lead them in all manners of worship. Like, yeah, that's a that's a great point too. Like, that's like that's really what he was saying is that they don't have the right to religious instruction just because they're watching over my children, child, and their body and soul matter. Yeah, I thought that was a good point. That's a good point. Babysitter, but that doesn't mean they're jurisdiction. Unlimited way to bring my children in all matters of worship and so forth. Of course, the use of the sword in that case. I mean, there's still a limitation to the jurisdiction that's been given, right? Then when you get to the religious role of the magistrate, if the magistrate is a religious interest, you said, then he has to be interested in promoting a proper legislative, I mean, I got your word right here, proper legislative competency over these things. Well, that's where, that's where I'm like, ah, uh, it's true, they should preserve our bodies, but that doesn't mean, because preserve our bodies and our souls together, right? I mean, the human has both. Uh, but that doesn't mean they're to lead us to the heavenly gates, whatever the phrase was that you used. Um, so that's where I'm, I'm, I'm utterly with Andrew when Andrew says, you know, it seems like you're in some ways drawing logical implications out that doesn't necessarily agree with the biblical data, or frankly, even with what well, I would say be proper theological construction of, of limited jurisdictions. Okay, jumping to Brad, some of the same things here: green light, yellow light, red light, green. Protestant political theology. The way you describe two kingdoms, I like it. Rules of the world in two ways. Well, yes, good. Yellow light works with nature, restoring and renewing it, including political structures. Well, I don't like the language of restoring and renewing. That to me feels like feels like Holy Spirit language, removal of the curse language. Maybe you mean what I mean. I'm not sure. That's why I'm giving the yellow light. Um, green light. Each of these spheres is a provisional autonomy. Good, I like that. Uh, gospel. Uh, you don't want a government that's not concerned with the gospel, indifference to the gospel. Rulers rule on behalf of Christ. I'm giving that a green light. And therefore, he must enforce justice as Christ defines it. Again, agree. That means he can't in some sense, or he should not be at least, ideally, be in different religious order. I mean, I, I think that's true. Uh, his, his, the contours of justice he seeks are, are the contours as established in Scripture. I agree. Green light. State should be aware of its limitations in light of Christ's rulers. Sound like your, 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 your professor, Adon, in there. I mean, that's true. Um, you would have no authority if it were not given to you above, says Jesus the Pilate. Right? Uh, Christianity has revealed its limited vocation, the government's limited vocation, but it can't be in different gospel. Again, green light. But where I quickly turn to red is then what you seem to assume from there, which is you said that good that it's working for includes a soul. I think you said soul hyphen ish good. And uh, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean the state has the power of the sword to enforce religion, organized religion, let's say, organized religion, particular doctrines. Just tell me where that's, where that's in the Bible, not in Mosaic Covenant. Um, uh, you say societies are organized around objects of worship. That's true. It's only Christianity that says otherwise. When Jesus says, render Caesar what Caesar is and to God what's God. It's only a Protestant political theology that's going to say to the, you know, the Hillary Clintons and the, and the uh, uh, you know, whomever's, no, we're not going to enforce your worship or any worship. We, we can't do that. We're not competent to do that. We're not authorized to do that. We're not the Holy Spirit. We can't do that. So it's only Christianity, Protestant Christianity, that offers an off-ramp to the organizing of society around an object of worship. It's just not authorized. It's true that religion binds a nation together. It makes it, again, that's all true. That doesn't mean we're authorized to do that. Uh, another red light, rulers must before the entire Decalogue. I, I just don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that as authorized. Even if you want to make a logical implication, that's what you're doing. 
Um, so should public blasphemy laws be punished? No. Should church work be funded? No. Um, should you know, religious uniformity be tolerated or discouraged? Uh, or, or should religious lack of uniformity be tolerated? Well, I think it has to be tolerated. Uh, we don't have the competency, the Holy Spirit power to do otherwise, and we don't have the authority to do otherwise. And this is this is where I think Andrew and my uh, concept of uh, a Baptist rendering of how the covenants in the Bible are put together and are, are perhaps stronger, not perhaps, our stronger views of discontinuity between Old and New Covenant are certainly germane in this conversation. So we have, Andrew and I have, very strong understanding of the New Covenant coming and saying, law cannot enforce true religion. That's why Israel was exiled. They couldn't enforce it. Therefore, I'm putting you all to death. I'm casting you out of the land. A New Covenant was needed. One in which the Spirit comes and dwells our hearts and enables us to keep the law. But who administers that New Covenant? It's not the state. It's the church. And so in that sense, the, the obligations given to the state go back to the common covenant given through Noah, Genesis 9. Right? And that, that's not changed. So when Oliver Godwin says that the, the state assumes a peripheral, pro, peripheralized role with the coming of Christ, that's both true, I would say. That's both true and not true. It's true relative to Israel. It's not true with respect to the nations and with respect to the authority given through the Noahic covenant. Right? So the authority given there and meditated on in different ways as I described before by the rest of Scripture uh, tells us what the state can and can't do. And, and at no point do we see the kings of the nations being told they can wield the sword for purposes of worship, for the purposes of the first table of the law. So that's, that's a luxury anthropology. I agree with the political nature of everything we do, including the church, or the political church. Uh, still, I want to come in with a stronger view of the discontinuity between Old and New Covenant, and therefore what we expect the state to be competent to do and authorized to do. All right, well... Um, the word is authorized. That's what the word I was looking for. Authorize. That's the word that he really likes oh, talking, using yeah. the word authorization. And, um... <clears throat> oh, no. Sorry, I... Sorry. Okay, um... Again, chat. Buy me a coffee whatever uh but i really like how he keeps going back to that to, like this is where like it's so funny how we're we're talking about creating a, a protestant political theology and um it seems like jonathan lehman is the person most being like so let's use protestant theological uh ra reason right like he's the one being like well, let's let's see what the Bible actually authorizes. Like he's like, and, and this is where he keeps going. Like, I mean, your logic from theological principles is good, but I'm not sure that you find authorization for it in the Bible. And and really, this is kind of like I mean, I'm just like I. This is the way the Protestants argued. Like that's that's some fine logic you got there. Uh, hate for someone to break it by using scripture. You know, like right. that's that's. Yeah, it must be either um, either in Scripture or logically deduced from Scripture. That is mu what must be happening. You can't you can't go third tier out theological principles and try and make that carry the whole way to the conversation. I really I man, I think I'm I like his his case that he's making here. Um, yeah. Yeah. And. And yeah, just pointing out that two two things that I pointing out that it is the it is explicitly the church that is given these commands, particularly in the New Testament. That it's not that it's not the state. That it's not a civil magistrate. It's not. All people in whatever capacity they find themselves in. It, it is the church through which the advance of the gospel, through which the uh, through which the worship of God, through which the uh, moral formation of God's people is supposed to come. Um, and 
Ja. And, and, and Paul never says, what you should be doing is turning around and arresting all the Diana worshipers, right? Like, <laughs> that's, that's never what he does with his audiences with kings. And that's an argument from silence, but, uh, but, uh, but, but one where silence is at least somewhat indicative. Um, but then the other thing, that he brings out is he says um, he says that oh well no no that sorry this is the same thing he says so he says that it, the the state is not authorized to do this and another thing we can see from scripture is that the state tends toward the opposite error so it's not just historically we see that the state tends towards idolatry. We, we can read that in the scriptures. The, the scriptures tell us the state tends towards idolatry. Yeah. Yep. For more on that, listen to everything else we do. Um, <laughs> mostly you the know, revelations. Yeah. You know, I was thinking we could get through all all three of them, but honestly, this is probably a good place to stop. If we if we get into probably that fourth, a good place it's all four. If we got to the fourth one, we're probably gonna go over. Um, so, uh, man, y'all, pray, pray. I know, I know this episode's coming out Wednesday. We're recording it on Sunday, so probably a lot has come out about information in between now and, and between the recording and when you're watching this now. But man, be praying for peace in Europe. This is. This is this is getting pretty scary, guys. Like the we're, we're the, the way it's it's all playing out. Um, I I've always said it, on this point, like you know, we've always said. Am I pro Russia? No. Am I pro Ukraine? No. What am I pro? I'm pro peace. I am pro the end of the bloodshed, and I'm pro every step we can take away from nuclear war. I know this seems unconnected, for, especially if you're watching this in some later date or listening to this, uh, even especially you guys listening to it on audio on Friday. Um, but, but like just seeing what's going on right now, if you could just go back to what was happening in the early hours of Monday morning um, in Ukraine and, and you'll see what we're talking about. But, but really just, you know, I know you're seeing it like just generally, this is just um, Nuclear war is not something to joke about, not something to bombast about. This is something that, that we need to be praying for, uh, praying about, praying for peace. Um, and also, like, this is an area where, like, I think, once again, um, let the word of God reign. Let the word of God reign over our bombast and our everything. Whether it's bombast about political power or bombast about war and taking sides in some war that's not our business like like god's word reign um let let moral biblical protestant principles reign over um the spirit of the age um it's so easy to to, to get caught up in stuff like this and that's where i think these conversations are really helpful even with the people who we disagree with is is like let's let principles and scripture um decide our reactions to things instead of just knee jerking um at what the people around us tell us we need to be saying you need to 
fly a Ukrainian flag. No, you know, they're they're all a bunch of whatever, you know, like like whatever that they're telling you to do. Um, we need to stand on the word of God and principles derived therefrom. Um, even if you end up coming to Timon or Brad Little John's position, like like that is a, a better way than just reacting. Um, mm -hmm. Because reaction is what's causing this war to escalate. You know, we didn't talk about this, but you know, what what do they do? They bombed a bridge and what what how are they responding? They're responding by attacking it appears to be they're firing missiles at Kiev. Um including as Patrick says in the chat, uh apparently hitting a German consulate. And that's the one that's like, man, world wars have been started over last yeah. Um, this is all about reaction. They did this. I'm going to do this. They, they did this. I'm going to do this. And this is how we get about so many things. Just reactive. They did this. I'm going to do this. Slow down. Well, and that's actually, I mean, it's the very, it's the very escalating cycle of blood feud style violence that we just mentioned. The civil magistrate was instituted to prevent. But here it is. So, this is, we're ending on a weirdly uh, a weird note because of where we were when we were recording this. Um, yes. But, uh, but we got some preambling in your main episode. Sorry, folks that hate that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but ultimately, I think this is this is uh, this is a good it's a good lesson, and I think good driving at home that political theology is not just fun. Uh, <laughs> some fun exercise in intellect. It's they, this is re this has real effects. There are real outcomes, and and there are real people who are dying because and and living and dying because of it. And so we need to dedicate to becoming more biblical and less reactionary. Um. Any last Amen. words? Says that. Amen. Amen. That'll right. do it. Uh, well, so obviously, um, we, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Uh, you can do that by leaving a comment. If you're watching this on YouTube, or you can send us an email at anarchist Bible study.com anarchist Bible study at gmail.com. Uh, my words got jumbled there unless you are a fellow word jumbler, in which case you can send that email to a different location, which would be Bible anarchist at com.gmail <laughs> yes that's where you said it uh and of course make sure that you like subscribe rate share give us five star ratings we would really appreciate it um share uh share by posting it to your favorite uh social media and also just by telling a friend just telling a friend about it and um and of course, if you so appreciate us and you want to be part of our conversation in our secret Discord channel, which is uh, a great place uh, to have great conversations, you can do that by going to buymeacoffee.com slash flyover. And for just $1 a month, you get access to the secret Discord channel, the live stream, when it's created and from every time and from every moment after, you can be part of or reread the chat after the fact. 
and you get to be um, just to have that warm, fuzzy feeling inside you of having supported uh, your favorite podcaster. And of course, if you give a one-time donation of $5, you can request a topic like we are doing now, as I've said earlier. And, um, and we appreciate that. We really appreciate the support. And we, uh, eat on, on the financial and on the just rating us and liking us and sharing us. We like it, both of that. Um, but most importantly, the most important thing, more important than anything else, that you join us again next week when we take anarchy to church here on the anarchist bible study grace and peace grace and peace